You know what? We heard there's a birthday today. Heard it through the grapevine. Good morning. And we'll sing happy birthday to Gia. Yeah, her birthday. Okay. Let's see if we can play it on the guitar. We'll play it on G. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Gia. Happy birthday to you. We're not going to sing the second verse. How old are you? So I know you're not going to answer. Okay. Who else's birthday this week? Who's? Who else? I don't know who else. Oh, he's got one tomorrow. Read the bulletin? Who, me? <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> Brother Hugh has one tomorrow. Who? Who's? Brother Hugh's birthday sing. Happy birthday to you. Sundays ago, yeah. but uh. Come to Genesis, Genesis, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. As you turn there, are a couple of things to ask you. Uh, what is the vertical group between your nose and your upper lip? Right here. What is that called? Does anybody know? Hair lip? Mustache separator? Cupid's bow? You're guessing. It's called the philtrum. With a P. I didn't know that. I'll give you another one here. Um, if you scowl often, you engage the muscle, the space between your eyebrows. What is that called? Now, I didn't know these things until I just did some you know, casual uh, anecdotal stuff. What is that space here called between your eyebrows when you frown? That space. The muscles. That area is called the... Glabella. Glabella. 
That's almost sounds French. La Bella. Exodus chapter 2. The new Pharaoh has made up his mind in chapter 1 to persecute the Hebrew people. He's got it in his head to make life hard for them by adding to their labors, making it very, very grievous. And he wants to wear them down, wear them out so that they could never uprise, never do a coup. And he has it in his thinking that they may do that one day. So he makes life very hard for them. They'll be so exhausted that they'll have no strength to rebel. And that's how he thought about things. He passes a law secondarily to really stymie the growth of the Hebrew population. If a baby is born, it's a male, just simply kill it. And so that's the background of chapter 1. We covered that last week. And yet you see in chapter 2 now some good things. It's one of the most exciting and dramatic chapters in the book of Exodus, chapter 2. It's about the providence of God. It's about the protection of God, and it's about the timing of God. These three things, these three principles you see in chapter 2 of Exodus is uh, encouraging for the Christian for today. But it really happened in the life of the Hebrew people. And in chapter 2, I'd like to cover those three things this morning. Let's pray. Lord, bless our lesson this morning. Uh, speak to our hearts and speak to our heads. And help us to put our confidence in you, that you are all-knowing, all-seeing. You care for us, you love us, and you want us to follow you. Help us, Father, to learn some lessons that are good for us today, to strengthen us. And I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 2, verse number 1, 2, and 3. Let me read the verses and please follow along. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Because you remember that the laws passed about baby boys and what to do with them. And so here's this couple, they get married and in due time they have a child. It's a male child, which is a death sentence for the family, for the boy especially. And so uh, she does something that was considered to be, I, I say, against the law of the land. And um, so she does not kill the baby boy, does not report it, and so she does something instead to protect this son of hers, this male son. She makes a little basket, and then she makes it waterproof, and then she puts her baby in there after three months, and then she probably covers the baby with a blanket, and she probably prayed over him, and probably terrifically she put him in the water in the river and off he would go a very hard thing can you imagine how she must have felt for her to do that it's like the old days when a baby was born but the mother the young lady uh, did not want to care for the baby so she put on the doorstep of somebody's house in london and then she just scooted away she knocked on the door with a note on the door says please take care of my baby without a name and she would just go and here's what is this the baby's there crying, and the mother, the, the people take it in, and something happened to take care of it. Well, that's kind of like what she did here. She gave up her baby boy, and uh, it was very hard, I can imagine. And so waterproofed it, kept it afloat. And so imagine also not only the grief that she felt, imagine the fear that she felt. Uh, the river, what's in the river besides frogs, besides other little critters? You have things that would probably, how do you spell crocodile? River, Nile, so on like that. So dangerous environment. And so you can imagine the fear that she had and that she felt, well, uh, they did all that they could do to protect their little baby and keep it safe as long as possible. What do you think she was hoping for? What do you think she was hoping for that would happen to her baby? Well, what would you be hoping for if you were a parent? Would you hoping be hoping that somebody would find the basket with your baby in it and have compassion on it and rescue it, take it home and adopt, take care of it? That's probably what she was hoping for. And so um, a very hard, hard day for this uh, mother of Moses. And so they did everything possible. Of course, the basket, the waterproofing, 
I'll add in the blanket, prayers. They did everything possible that the babe would be safe. Against all odds, they did what they could. Uh, there's a lesson there. Now, um, when you read the Bible, you need to remember this right here. P.A. Uh, a long time ago, I learned when you read your Bible and you take notes, put a little P.A. next to a verse or next to a thought. The P.A. means personal application. Abbreviation, personal application. Do that and you will feel, you will get a lesson for you from a scripture, no matter what the scripture is. And so, uh, the personal application about these matters in the first three verses is that you do everything humanly possible that you should do in responsibility and then you have to trust God to take care of things for the results. So the saying that has gone around for many decades is uh, work like it all depends on God and prayer like it all uh, work like it all depends on you but prayer like it all depends on God which is a very balanced way of looking at the Christian life. The unbalanced life is you just pray and not do anything. Or you just work and not pray. So you're going to have to have a balance. Yeah. Moses' parents, Moses' mother especially, they had some sense about this. We, we're praying for God to deliver this. Are you pregnant? Yes. Oh, man, this is great. Oh, wait a minute now. If it's a boy, you know what that means. I know what that means, honey, but um, we, we cannot do that. I agree, we cannot do that. Well, we need to ask God for wisdom what to do. And as the time went by, now it's... Uh, she's coming full term. Baby's about to be born. Baby's delivered. Baby's, it's a boy. Oh no! What a what a mixed feelings that they had. So they did everything they could have done, and then they trusted God. That is the first application so far in the first three verses, and so that is true even for today. And so uh, they were forced to trust God, and God wanted to protect little baby Moses. They were forced to. Had no other choice. But they did what they could have done to keep the baby alive and safe. They did the best that they could do. They couldn't do anything else. They couldn't do anything else. They had no other recourse but to just trust God after they've done everything they could do. That would be true too in our lives today in different situations. Um, just yesterday, Saturday, I did something for one of Miranda's friends over by Diamond Head. And we were talking and uh, something came up involving something very personal and the net result of that conversation was uh, this friend could not do certain things to fix this uh, fix a problem this friend was only left to trust God for any kind of solution uh, because of, of age factors and because of persuasion factors and any, if she had tried to quote preach to this person this person would be pushed away even further this person claims to not be an atheist, whereas this person who grew up in the church, grew up in Sunday school, went to church with uh, this friend, and then went to college in California. And she came home the first year, and she says, I am now an atheist. And so very devastating news to get from someone like that, someone close to you. And so what do you think I should do? Well, what are you doing now? And I said, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. You cannot push that person to change their mind. You cannot force them. You cannot jump on them and beat them like this. It's not a wrestling match between flesh and blood, remember? It's not that at all. So um, uh, this person just resigned uh, herself, not in a defeated way, but in a, okay, she said this. Okay, God's got this. <laughs> That's why she said, God's got this. Which is to say, Moses' mother said, God, you got this. You have to take your baby, my baby. I no longer can do anything. He is now floating on the water in the river. So many dangerous things can happen. So many bad death is imminent unless you protect him. Did God protect baby Moses? Did God protect baby Moses? Did God keep him alive? Sure he did. And so that's the personal application here. Uh, look at verse number four. Two, four. And his sister stood afar off, to wit, what would be done to him. Verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. This is a very strange verse. 
why would the daughter of Pharaoh, a princess, come down to the river and wash herself? Was she washing her face? Was she washing as in taking a, a bath? What was she doing down there at the river? Does she not have more glamorous and uh, better, uh, doesn't it have everything that she would need as a princess? Why, why go down to a river to do this? Verse five, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. Um, I don't see I don't see people who have everything going down to Alawa um, Canal to wash. I don't see that happening, or going down to the to the beach, or to going down to the showers at the beach. You know, public parks you have showers at the beach. I don't see someone going there to bathe. Something made her do this. Something caused her to go there. What do you think that was? What do you think that was? Is it possible God put a thought in her head? So in verse number four, the sisters to the far off, Miriam, how sad that must have been. Verse five, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. Her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw, verse 6, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. It sounds like the babe was not crying before this, because only when the baby was found, the baby cried. There's something about a baby crying that makes you have certain feelings. Now, for a guy, be quiet. But for a woman, compassion. Behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. And so something very unusual is going on over here. Something is very unusual going on. And look at verse number seven. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter. What's she doing there? How is she in this little group of attendants to the princess? Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child to thee? This is so funny. This is so hilarious. This you ought to say, wow. This is so, quote, good luck. <laughs> the stars lined up. The zodiac is correct. No. Um, this sister of Moses, boy, she could she could think on her feet, couldn't she? She's a quick thing. She'd make a good um Air traffic control tower operator. Think on her feet. Yeah, make a good city bus driver. Verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said uh, to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Oh boy. <laughs> this is so this is so dramatic. That's why I said this is one of the most dramatic chapters in the book of Exodus. Verse 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me to Moses' mother. And I will give thee thy wages. I, 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 what? And I'll give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, and he called his name Moses. Now, what you find in these verses is that the events that led to the baby Moses becoming the man Moses, the great leader of Israel, it all began a long time ago before he became the real leader of Egypt, uh, of uh, Israel. All of these things are working now, and what you find here is the you have the providence of God. The providence of God is something that is going on unknown to you, something that is happening that you don't realize because you're involved in this drama, but you don't see that it's working out for your good. The providence of God. Uh, pro, pro, that's something good. Video, this is from the word, or we get the word video or vision. So, pro, ahead. Ahead, video, vision. You know what that's about? God sees ahead. The providence of God is saying that God sees what's going to happen and He orchestrates events, peoples. So that things happen like he sees it to happen. Uh, this is this is not akin to, but sort of like um, 
uh, oh, you know, the Calvinists talk about the predestination of God and all that. There's a place for that in the Bible, but you see more than that, the provision of God, the providence of God. God works things out. It doesn't look good, but God sees beyond the immediate. He sees the future, and he's working something out according to Romans 8.28. Do you know Romans 8.28? Who knows Romans 8.28? Okay, can you quote it? Can you quote it? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So providence, the providence of God, you see that in these verses. And so from why would the king's daughter even go down to the river to bathe? She's got more luxurious accommodations, but she chooses to do this. She could have been the Trump Tower. But no, she goes down here to the public park showers. Doesn't make any sense. And so I wanted to ask again, is it possible for God to plant thoughts in people's minds without them realizing it's from God? Is it possible? It is possible. It is very possible. Throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, heathen kings, they did things that was very beneficial to the Hebrew people. And sometimes it's because of some Hebrew that was kind and helpful and saved the life like in Mordecai Mordecai and you see that story in Esther and so sometimes that happens but sometimes a guy just has a thought and he does, makes a decree we're going to do that later on you find out oh so God is doing this because God planted his mind this thought so this is why you should never stop praying for politicians you should never stop praying for those in authority because just don't know what God can do he can plant a thought in them. They might make a decision that they think is going to hurt Christians or hurt a community, but really it's going to be for their benefit. So they might have a selfish reason for doing something, but God's going to work that out so that it's better for somebody else. So that's why you should always pray about situations. You never know what God's going to do and how he can plant thoughts in people's mind to let someone do something that is for the cause of Christ and so on all right and so um, there she goes uh, they have done everything they could have done to save the baby and so now it's up to God to protect the baby and so she goes down and in the process of going down there's one of the maids sees the baby in the basket baby cries it's kind of like God got a pin and poked the baby right in the foot at the right time so the baby cried and then compassion and uh, it's a good thing there were not any male attendants at the time and it was a female because of that compassion factor and it is true isn't it a guy and a woman sees things differently that's very true and if you don't know if that's true I'll just park here for just a minute and give you some PA because uh, men see things differently from a woman listen to how women and men talk about describing something there was an accident. You know, the guy asked what kind of car was involved. Oh, it was an SUV, Toyota, a Highlander, and it was a, a Prius. Not my Prius, someone else's Prius. And uh, then I was two women talking. Oh, did you see the accident? Oh, the traffic was so bad. There's 500 cars lined up both ways where people were rubbernecking, and there's blood on the ground, and the ambulance hadn't come yet. Oh, I felt so bad for them. You know, the guy says it was an accident. It was bad. Next, and if a guy, I think if a guy had seen baby Moses and heard him cry, he would say, oh, he probably put the blanket over his head. So he muffles the sound. That's how a guy would think. The providence of God. All right. Now, uh, one of Pharaoh's attendants that day was Moses' sister. How about that? Isn't that odd? How'd she get in that position? I don't know. Fact is, she was. In fact, is, it was her on the scene to give a suggestion to her. She almost put words in the princess's mouth. Uh, maybe she was so so quick to say, God, you're answering my prayers, my mom's prayer. And so she said what she said, which would lead to the protection and the raising of Moses in the court of the Pharaoh, the providence of God. And uh, another servant may have said, you know, your dad made a law. If it's a boy, baby, we are to kill it. Remember that, ma'am? Another servant could have said that, but it was not another servant, but it was not another attendant. 
It was a specific attendant, a specific servant of the princess. Can you not see the providence of God? It is, it is like a Hollywood production, but in a good way. <laughs> it's like drama. Have you ever seen some, some novels put out as a movie? Maybe uh, I'll just throw out one, get some mind. Tom Clancy writings, uh, Hunt for Red October, things like that, or other kind of production, very dramatic. And you get to see and feel and hear all the drama behind the written word. Well, here you are watching something unfold, uh, something great, the providence of God. And so quick to suggest a plan to care for the child. And uh, she agrees to that. And then uh, the princess says, go find someone to care for it. And so, you know what is, you know who is brought in? Moses' own mama. Now, you're going to have to stop and say to yourself, how is that possible? She gave up her son thinking there's little chance except for the mercy of God for my son to survive. And the next thing she knows, uh, I'm looking for a Hebrew mother, Miriam, and she's kind of like, Mom, guess what? We found our brother. And guess what? The princess wants me to find some Hebrew mother to nurse this baby. Mom, come. And what a, what a seat. I got chicken skin. My hair is standing on end. And I have no hair to stand on end. It, it's just like, this is, if you don't believe in God, hopefully this will help you to see that there is a God in heaven. Right. And if you don't believe that God has God foresees the future and works things out so that his end comes to pass. Hopefully these little things will help you to see it is true. It is true. No human can come up with these things. No human can come up with these things to put everything in its place. It is too incredible. All right. Uh, speaking of that, can I throw another PA in here? Can you think of some things in your life where you look back, you say, oh, if I hadn't had this intersection with this person, this would not happen. It could have been a job. It could have been a relationship. It could have been something that was beneficial to your life. And you say, looking back, oh, if this didn't happen, this would not, would not have happened. Can you think of some things like that? Now, if you're a Christian, that would be the providence of God. And if you're not a Christian, things may have worked out where you met someone who witnessed to you or gave you a gospel or said something to you. Could be it have been any situation, and later on you got saved because of this meeting with somebody, and so on. Um, providence of God. Many things happen in the life of a believer that's not good luck or accidental or just whatever's. It's because of the providence of God. Do you know that I met my wife because of the providence of God? Now maybe you met your wife or your husband because of the providence of God. Maybe. Uh, a lot of things happen in your life because of God's providence. Uh, Pete was in the Marine Corps, came to K-Bay, came to church, met my daughter, and then married my daughter. Not so soon, not that like, like that, not, not so quick like that. Uh, Pete had gone to, uh, he was four years in the Marine Corps. He said, uh, he asked me one night, now he might listen to it. He might hear this. He might laugh about it because it's so funny, so true. But uh, one night at church in Naya, after church in Naya, uh, we had the, the Marines over for something. And uh, of course, Emily liked that. You know, she liked having guys around her because she was at the age where uh, guys are different from girls. And, uh, you know, she had respect for the uniform and she still does, of course. But uh, she liked having the guys come over to the house. And so this guy named Pete was one of those guys. There's another guy, his name was Stan, uh, his name was Smith from North Carolina. Smith like Emily. Pete did not say anything because Pete's were quiet. But through some of those kind of things, and through being in church, one night Pete came up to me and says, oh, Pastor, can I ask you something? And I'm thinking, I'm very suspicious, you know, can I ask you something? I was thinking, yeah, later. <laughs> and then later came and so he says, can I ask you, can I, yeah. We'll go outside, walk down the house and driveway. He says, uh, out there at nighttime, and he's uh, him hauling right, going, um, um, I said, yes, Pete. He said, um, I said, oh, what, Pete? Got enough to eat? Oh, yes, I did. Uh, got enough to drink? Yes. Okay. You still hungry? Uh, no. Uh, what are we here for? What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm making it hard for him, you know. And 
He says, uh, uh, we're down by the mailbox down our driveway. He's going, uh, he says, uh, um, finally looks up at me. He says, um, it's about Emily. I said, uh, what about Emily? He says, I think I like her. I'm looking at him. You think you like her? I think I like her. And then he says, next question. He says, what should I do? <laughs> and I said, nothing. <laughs> Don't do anything. He said, what do you mean? I said, just be friends with her. Just be friends with her. That's all. Don't do anything. Nothing. And I guess he was surprised. He said, oh, okay. If you say so, I said, well, yeah, just do nothing. This, everything's pretty premature. Just don't do anything. And so whenever we had things going on, you know, been a racquetball at KBA and all that kind of things, I would see Pete. Pete's a lousy racquetball player, but he tried to play racquetball, racquetball, and he tried to, you know, do his thing, but he was so clumsy and awkward, he looked kind of hilarious. He was like a, a stick figure trying to play racquetball. We got to bend down, jump up and do this thing, and he's uncoordinated, which is not a criticism. He's just uncoordinated. And uh, so he's over there hitting the ball, missing the ball, thinking Emily's cracking up, dying laughing, you know, and I look through the little window and watching them, and I could tell Emily had feelings for Pete. And Pete certainly had feelings for Emily. Well, the, the long story made short is this funny. Uh, Nathan performed their wedding ceremony at White Camp Smith, and it was a very nice ceremony and everything. And so it's been how many years since they've been married? I don't know, but three, three girls later, uh, been married now for 12, 15 years now. Uh, happy as can be. Now, I seen that the providence of God. Of all people that she would marry, some little good-for-nothing guy from Oklahoma and Maryland. Happy as can be. Did Emily ever think she'd marry someone from the mainland? No. No. Did he ever think he'd marry someone that's not his own kind, like not some white person? No, he married a Chinese girl. Oh, beautiful kids. Now, that is not good luck. That is not happenstance. That's not the Marine Corps bringing him over here. Him coming. It's not that at all. But it is the providence of God. And you can have your own story in that one too. And you can see how God worked things out. Romans 8, 20 is very true. So here we are back to Moses. And Moses, Moses is saved. Moses is protected. God answered prayers. And they take Moses to uh, the palace. And he's raised as a baby. He's nursed by his own mother. And she's paid. Boy, I know I know that made her happy too. I got to nurse my own boy. And I'm getting paid every month. Oh boy, what a blessing that would be. Getting paid. Now only God can work that out. And you know, in many other instances in the Old Testament, when God did something great for Israel, many times they spoiled a nation and took all of that. When they left Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians in the Exodus. A lot of that stuff made them rich, but also maybe that was used for the building of the tabernacle. All that gold and silver and everything else too. And so the providence of God. And we find in chapter 2, in chapter 2, look at verse number 11 of Exodus. Back to verse 10. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. And in verse number 11, and it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, how does Moses now? It doesn't say here, but he's 40 years old. 40 years have passed between verse uh, 10 and 11. 40 years has passed. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren, verse 12, and he looked this way and that way. Can you see him doing this? He looked that way, he looked that way. <laughs> he's about to do something he shouldn't have done. People do that, you know, when they about to do something wrong, they look around because he's watching them. Isn't that true? You watch a kid. He's about to put his finger in the socket. He's told not to do it. He's a little toddler. Can't even talk. He's, he's crawling to that. He's been told many times, no, 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 no. He knows that. He looks around, he goes over there, he does this. 
before he puts his finger there, he does this. Who's he looking for? Mama. Mama. That's what he's doing. And so he knows what he's doing here is not good. Uh, watch this. Uh, verse number 12. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said unto him that did the wrong, wherefore smilest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. You know why it was known? Because Moses forgot that there was closed circuit TV and cameras all around. There wasn't. I'm just telling you that to test you if you're alert. There were cameras around all every, you know, there's cameras around street corners, intersection now, to catch people going through the yellow. Isn't that so, Stan? I don't know where, they don't post it, maybe they do, but uh, certain intersections, more heavily uh, traveled than others, there's cameras up there. Take a picture, license plate, send you a fine. What? They're everywhere. Um, and of course in London, you have over 500,000 cameras all over the place because of crime. Can you imagine that? Probably more now. Over, five, over half a million cameras, closed circuit cameras too to catch people who, now of course, um, nowadays, you can steal up to $1,000 and no one's gonna catch you, so you might as well steal it. I went to Home Depot, buy a faucet uh, over in town, what day was it, uh, anyway. And I kind of joked with the guy who checked me out at the, uh, what do you call that, self-checkout? The guy was there, hello, can I help you? I said, yeah. I asked him the question, look, let me ask you, what happens if I just walk out with this? What would you do? You know what he said? He said, I'd curse you, but I couldn't stop you. I said, no kidding. He said, I'd curse you, but I couldn't stop you. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pay for it. He said, oh, that's so good. I said, well, I didn't expect to walk out without paying for it. But a lot of people think they can do that kind of stuff. And uh, nowadays, though, um, it's all over the place. It's just unbelievable. There are, you, you read and you probably already read and heard about so many stories of people on the mainland California, people smashing grab kind of thing, uh, because they think that they can. A precedent was set many years ago, or several years ago. Anyway, so um, Moses forgot that there were cameras, there were eyes around, there's people with cell phones. Moses forgot that. And so he was surprised that people knew. Yeah, so he, he had to take off, didn't he? And off he goes as an adult. He goes off into the desert and uh, goes to the place called Midian, far, far from Egypt. Now, I don't know why, I don't know why Pharaoh and his uh, people did not get a hold of him. Uh, I don't know why they could stop him. I don't know why they were slow. But, uh, you know, we have our FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Egypt had their Egyptian Bureau of Investigation. I don't know why they couldn't find him. Tracks were fresh, he took off, people saw something. I don't know why they couldn't find him. Was it because of the providence of God that he could not be caught? I'm thinking yes. So in his rage, Moses killed the man, and word gets to the top, Pharaoh finds out, and he takes off, he's a fugitive. Look at verse number 16, 216. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. Some men came by, these shepherds, and they chased the women away from the wells. They couldn't get their water. Me first. There's this attitude now. There's me first. Me first. Me first. Me first. So these shepherds come by and uh, got what they wanted to get, chased them away. But Moses, uh, look at that. But Moses. This would be the theme of Moses very shortly. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. That phrase in verse 17, but Moses stood up and helped them, that be the theme of Moses' life shortly in about 40 more years. <laughs> so when he gets to Midian, that's the beginning of a 40-year life in the desert. Look at this. 40 years in Egypt, 
raised, educated in science, law, everything else in math, everything. He is raised and trained as an Egyptian son, perhaps future heir. But then he kills somebody. He takes off for his life. He's in the desert. He is there for 40 more years. So his life so far is 40 in Egypt and 40 in the back of this. At the beginning of these 40 years, he does something that will be indicative of what he will be like for the rest of his life. In verse number 17, Moses stood up and helped them. Moses will stand up and help God's people for 40 years when it's time for him to go back to Egypt. Very interesting with the Bible and how it expresses things. Moses not only helped the women get their water and chased away these, these uh, mean uh, shepherds, he got the water for them, and when they got home, the father says to these women, how'd you guys get this done so fast? And they said, he said, usually it takes about three hours. You took it down this time, just an hour. He says, they said, oh, there's a gentleman over there by the well, and he helped us. Is that right? Well, did you thank him? Uh, yes. Well, did you finally come to our house for dinner? No. Well, we're going to have to show him some uh, appreciation and, and some hospitality. Go get him, bring him over here. And the rest of the chapter is about that. But I want you to know that that phrase in verse number 17, but Moses stood up and helped them. That is Moses. Moses stood up to a lot of things in the book of Exodus. Number one, can you think of one thing he stood up to? He stood up to the Pharaoh. He stood up to the Pharaoh. What else did he stand up to in the book of Exodus? He stood up to his own people. His own people, a hard-hearted, rebellious nation, Many times want to stone him. We're not happy with them. He stood up to his own people. That's Moses. This scripture tells us what Moses will go through and what he's like. Moses is the greatest leader that Israel ever had. He had the personality that God gave him. Had the temperament. He's the right guy. He's the right fit. Had it been somebody else, they would have failed probably. Had they gotten another man, uh, wouldn't have worked. If it was Aaron... Couldn't have been Aaron as the, as the number one man. Aaron would not have the integrity to do what God said. Had to be a man like Moses. And so in verse number 18, when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, how is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And verse 20 says, he said unto his daughters, and where is he? Why is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? <laughs> Call him that... Uh, he made bread. Hospitality, a good thing. Appreciation, a good thing. Can I tell you something? When you read the Bible, historically what you're reading now, you learn some PAs. You need to show people appreciation. You need to show people hospitality. You need to be kind to people who are who have done something good for you. You should let them know. You should let the cook know what a great meal it was. You know when you do that, it does something for the cook. What's it do to the cook? Now, you might say, well, the cook did it for me anyway, so why should I thank the cook, the chef? He's getting paid for this, you know, so I just I just pay my bill and maybe give a tip, but I, he don't need to know that it was a great meal. But if you tell him it was a great meal, what does it do to him? If you never say anything, he might he might know it was, a, it was done properly, cooked right and all that, fresh ingredients, but he needs to have some response from the ones who... Who partake of his food so that he knows okay yeah this this was like I, I did good. and you know what it makes him want to do a better job next time and if you're smart if you're wise you'll practice that with people that you know and with others where you have association with because everybody needs to be told every once in a while good job every once in a while people need to be told that was nice every once in a while people need to be told I really like that you did I appreciate that it does good to the person who hears that. They probably deserve it. They probably need it. They're not weak because they need it. Remember that. People are not weak because they need encouragement. People need encouragement because people are people. Are you people? If you're people, you need encouragement once in a while. And it does something good for somebody else too. So the one who receives the, and that was great, feels good, encourages that person. The other person who feels good or is benefiting from that is the person who gave the compliment. It helps you to not be an old toad. You know what an old toad is? 
someone's always receiving, getting, never, never grateful, never thankful, never desires to show any kind. You know, that person becomes very much like I'm the most. Everybody should bow. No, no, no. You show it's showing humility, it's showing gratitude, and it's really a good thing. One of the blessings of uh, learning the Bible is that you learn to be more gracious. You learn to be more encouraging to other people because we all affect one another. Right? Right. One last illustration about that. I'll have to finish up pretty soon. If a, if a child does something good and had the initiative to do something for you or we did something out of responsibility and you thank that child and you say, acknowledge that child, that child will continue doing the right thing. If you want that child to continue, continue doing the right thing, you continue to encourage, you continue to cause that person to feel good about what he did, did the right thing. There should be a good feeling attached to doing the right thing. But if you say something like this, did you take out the trash? Yes. Well, look, you left this over here. Well, yeah, because I'm only three years old. <laughs> Well, have a little understanding here, would you? And if you want that child to continue doing the right thing, teach, show, but also encourage. And pretty soon, that child will be doing that automatically. If you want your wife to do good meals for you, praise her up and down, tell her, and tell somebody else. And she will feel great, and she will be glad to do anything for you in the kitchen. And she will enjoy making dinners for you, whatever it is. You see, so that's the principle. So uh, this is a custom, uh, old Jewish custom. And so in verse number, in chapter two, uh, verse twenty-one, and Moses was content to dwell with the man. Well, I guess so because he's got seven daughters, <laughs> and and I guess so because he's got good food to eat, and I guess so because he's made to feel like he's someone important and I guess so because he's made to feel like he's wanted and he's welcomed and he's helpful and he is acknowledged for the good that he does no wonder he wants to stay you keep telling your wife nagging on her nagging on him and uh, pretty soon he's not going to come home why would you want to come up to some old sea hag bothering you about this and that and the other thing <laughs> it's not, not fun not good I'm just being truthful no you're being stupid well I'm just being myself you're being dummy you're, you're an idiot you don't understand she is a woman you don't understand he's a man you have some things everybody's got different needs you gotta make people feel like they're wanted because they are and so on alright that's another message really um Verse 22, and he bare him a son. Uh, let's see, verse 29. Moses was content to dwell with man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his wife. What a name, Zipporah. Uh, and she bare him a son, and he called his name uh, Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Yes, verse 23. Then it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. Okay. Time has passed. Years have passed. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto the God by the reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now, you would say, okay, right away then God helped them. Immediately God, because he heard, he saw, he was stepping right away and delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Did you know that didn't happen so quickly? God saw, God heard, but he did not step in right away. But it doesn't mean he's not going to step in. But he does say he saw and he heard. Now at 1045, when we preaching from chapter 3 and some of chapter 4 about God's response to, to this, what he said here, and when he will come in and help them. But you want to know, you want to remember that during this time of waiting for God to deliver them in Egypt, God is doing something with the nation of Israel before they became a nation. God is doing something with them that he couldn't have done something with them in the wilderness. So they came from the wilderness into Egypt. During the Egyptian years, they had a chance to grow. 
that attempts to worship the one true God. In the wilderness, they were tempted by the the five nations that were already there to be um, compromising their faith in the true God. And they did that. But in Egypt, they're focused on the one God. And God was using that as an incubation or as a, like a womb. Egypt was like a womb to, to Israel to get them to grow up right. Very, very interesting what God was doing with them. So they all saw, oh, you know the old Negro spiritual? Uh, those are connected to the plantations and when people uh, were working for the plantation owners and long hours hot. Um, you know, my mother, my mother-in-law, she, in North Carolina, she, she picked tobacco. She didn't, uh, what did she do? She hung tobacco? She tied, she tied tobacco. Yeah, I don't know what that means because I have no experience with tobacco. <laughs> but she did that in North Carolina, Goldsboro. And so she worked hard like that. But uh, the old Negro spiritual, it's, it's coming out from working in the fields very hard. And they would sing hymns and songs to encourage themselves. They were singing about a better day coming. A better day coming when all of this is over. You know, in many other situations, people who are going through tremendous hardships and trials, um, they would encourage themselves by songs from the Psalms or songs that they sang in their traditions at home or in churches or in meetings, congregate, things like that. And so uh, the, the people of God were like that too. They were in hard, severe hardship and harsh labor, exhausting labor. And God says he saw what, what's going on. He heard their cries. He's going to take action, but it didn't happen so soon. So at 1045, we'll talk about that. And what you can do when things seem to be slow going and you cried out to God and it hadn't happened yet, what you can do is what they did. What they did is what you can do, so in other words, okay? I gotta continue that because uh, I don't have the time to get it all in about uh, 40 minutes. 40 minutes is kind of short for my Sunday school lessons, you know that? I can go an hour without without breathing, but you couldn't handle that. We gotta take a break, okay? So let's take a break and then uh, in about 10 minutes we'll separate for prayer. Guys over here, women over there, and then we'll begin our second service at 10.45 on the dot, please.